0: Good to see you guys this morning. Thanks for coming out. Uh, We are continuing our evangelism class, and I'm excited about the topic that I get to teach on today. It's one that I think affects all of us in one way or another, so I hope that it will be helpful to you. Let's pray, and we'll jump in. Father, thank you for uh, just the the truthfulness and the unchanging character of your word as we're just confronted on on a daily basis with how much our world changes, how much people around us change, Um, our own changing circumstances, um, our own emotional ups and downs. We're so thankful that we stand on a solid foundation, truth that is unchanging, truth that is pure and authoritative and sufficient. Lord, we love your word, and we're so grateful. It's such a gift and a treasure. I pray that this morning as we talk about how to apply the truth of scripture to a very practical area of life, I ask that you'd give us insight and help us to see ways in which we can walk in the light that your word provides. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. All right, so a question for you. Um, think about, from your own childhood, maybe some key things that you learned from your parents. Maybe you learned, uh, ladies, how to cook a roast from your mom. Or maybe, guys, you learned how to tie on a fishing lure or drive a manual transition, throw a baseball, transmission, throw a baseball, whatever it may be. You, we, we've all learned things from our parents. And a lot of those things are things that stick with us today. The ways that we do certain things probably very much shaped and influenced by spending a lot of time with our parents as children. Um, So flowing from that, how many of you, I'm just curious to see a show of hands, how many of you first learned the gospel from a parent? I know that's not everyone's story, but I know for some people it is. Raise them high. And I want you guys to look around the room for a minute. These are the people who first heard and first learned the gospel from their parents. There's nothing more important that a parent can pass on. That's more important than how to cook a roast or how to change the oil in your car. That is something that is precious and eternally significant. Um, And many of us first heard and believed in the gospel at a young age. That, That would be my story came to faith in Christ at a young age because my parents taught me the gospel. And this was the case for Timothy, Paul's protege as well. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, Paul writes, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus that's a significant statement that from childhood Timothy was acquainted with the sacred writings we know from other places that his mother and grandmother taught him the scriptures taught him the gospel and Paul says that these scriptures and the gospel they contain are able to make one wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus that's really significant Jesus, if we read the Gospels, often encouraged the children to come to him. He urged his disciples not to hinder them. And Jesus continues to do the same thing today, inviting the children to come to him. And we have a great opportunity. Um, Remember, we're talking about evangelism here. We have a little mission field right in our midst. It's the children the children that God has given to families in this church, and the, the children that God has given this church a chance to minister to. That's a great opportunity. It's also a great responsibility. God has entrusted those, <clears throat> those little souls to our care for the time being, and we have a limited opportunity to show them Christ. So I want to talk about the topic today of evangelism in children. How do we share the gospel with kids? What does it look like to evangelize children. <clears throat> I think there's a number of obstacles that keep us from effectively evangelizing children. So if we're going to be um, faithful in this, we need to make sure that these obstacles aren't tripping us up. Maybe some of these will feel familiar. I'll just run through a list. I think one obstacle is sometimes we wonder if kids are really able to understand. We maybe miss opportunities <clears throat> because we think, oh, they're too young, or oh, I, I, I'm, that might be too complex for them. We wonder if they're really able to repent of sin, if they're really capable of belief in Christ. And that's not just a abstract fear. Perhaps you've tried to explain the gospel to a child and you've realized it's hard to, to communicate this significant, biblical, profound truth to a five-year-old. So sometimes we, we think maybe it's too hard to do it. On the flip side, sometimes we're worried that maybe it's possible, but I'm afraid I won't do it right. I'm afraid I will confuse this kid. I'm afraid that I might, um, I might pressure them into something. I'm afraid that I might not make it clear enough and, and discourage their, their little faith. So sometimes we're, we're just nervous that we won't do it right, so we're hesitant to share the gospel with children. I think a less noble obstacle that sometimes gets in the way, and especially for parents, is that sometimes we're more concerned about outward behavior than we are inward transformation. And I can say this as a parent who's currently parenting young children in the home. On a daily basis, we're fighting multiple battles. On a daily basis, we're trying to teach um, important lessons, and sometimes we're just trying to survive and get through the day. And You know, get dinner cleaned up and get the lawn mowed and get to baseball practice or piano lessons or whatever it may be. So sometimes we get into this survival mentality, and we're just trying to manage our kids' behavior. We fail to recognize what they need is heart transformation. Sometimes that's just not on our radar. And I think that's something that hinders our effective evangelism of children. Related to that, sometimes we don't look for opportunities. Maybe you wait for your kids, if you're a parent, to ask you questions. Or maybe if you're not a parent, you think, well, they should ask their parents those questions. I don't need to talk to this child about Christ. That's their mom and dad's job. Sometimes we assume that children will get saved apart from our efforts. Well, I send them to Christian school and I bring them to church. They hear the gospel at church. That's enough. And we neglect to recognize that each of us personally has opportunities, whether it's with children in your home, whether it's with grandchildren, whether it's with the neighbor kid who's you know, out raking up leaves across the fence, no matter what the situation may be, too often we don't look for opportunities to share the gospel with children. But I would love to convince you and persuade you to agree that one of our most fruitful mission fields is children. Think about it. Children don't have a lifetime of hardening their heart and searing their conscience. Not that kids can't have a hard heart and a seared conscience. They can. But there's less junk in the way that there's less time for the world to indoctrinate them there's there's fewer lies that they've had a chance to hear and believe we're working with a much fresher slate if you could put it that way Um, so look for those opportunities this is a fruitful mission field and don't underestimate what children can understand children are much more intelligent than we give them credit for Um, I've talked to people who have small children And their child is very, very intelligent. In fact, their child has actually trained the parent instead of the parent training the child. And they think, oh, little Johnny doesn't understand. It's like, no, little Johnny understands exactly what he's doing, and he's got you wrapped around his finger. If he can figure out how to sort of manipulate his parents and get his way, and he knows how to navigate his little world, do you think he can probably understand that there's such a thing as right and wrong? And that there's a story about someone named Jesus, the Son of God, who died so that sinners could be forgiven and rose again, and that it's really important that little Johnny comes to know Jesus. Yes, he's far more intelligent and capable than you probably think. Don't underestimate what children can understand. But even more than that, don't underestimate what God can do. Don't underestimate that God may be choosing to work and do significant um, um, ministry in a child's heart And he wants to use you to do it. So don't underestimate what God can do. So let's prioritize the heart. Look for opportunities. Trust that God can save children. And that he wants to use us to share the gospel with them. Let me share with you some doctrinal foundations. If we're going to have um, fruitful and and faithful evangelism with children, there's a number of doctrinal considerations that we need to be able to stand on. And, And the first and most simple is this. Kids are sinners. Some of you are like, yeah, tell me something I don't know, because you're already convinced. But some people aren't convinced that children are sinful, that children are therefore guilty, that children need redemption. We like to think of children as innocent, and, and they're innocent in the sense that they don't fully understand everything that's going on out there. They haven't yet been exposed to some of the ugliest and darkest parts of living in a broken world, hopefully. Some children actually have been exposed to those things, but many children are innocent in the sense that they are naive to what's out there, but they are not innocent in the sense of their moral character. Their sinful hearts worship the self. And you can see this in a baby that's not even one years old. I want what I want and I want it now and you must give it to me. You must provide it for me. And if you don't, you will suffer my wrath. My wrath. You laugh, but that's exactly what's going on in a seven-month-old's heart. If you don't believe me, you need to do more babysitting for people in this church. You need to spend time with children. Yes, they're innocent in the sense they don't know of all the things going on in the world, but they're not innocent morally. David says that in iniquity, his mother conceived him. And he's not saying something about his mom. He's saying something about himself, that he has been a sinful creature from conception. Children are capable of sin. I wasn't planning to share this story, but it just came to mind. In the Old Testament, if you read through the Bible every year, you'll likely come across a story. um, It's in the good kids' curriculums, but it's not in all the kids' curriculums. There's a story of the prophet Elisha, and I think he's en route to, to one town or another, and this group of kids come out, and they're mocking Elisha. Go up, thou bald head, it says in the King James. They're making fun of him. And they're not just making fun of his baldness, because that can be forgiven. What they're making fun of is the fact that Elijah had been carried up into heaven, so the story went, in a chariot of fire, right? And they're mocking Elisha, telling him he should do the same as Elijah. And it says that God sent two she-bears out of the woods and tore them. God held those children morally responsible for their blasphemous mockery of his prophet. So we often fail to recognize that children are sinners. We need to believe. This is part of the doctrine of total depravity. And what that means is that children need the gospel. If you don't think that children are sinners who need grace, you won't feel the urgency of pointing them to Christ. So this is an important doctrinal foundation. A second doctrinal foundation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. How are children going to come to believe the gospel? Well, first they must hear the gospel. If they're going to hear the gospel, someone must tell them the gospel. Who's going to do it? That's the logic of Romans chapter 10. That faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. How will they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear without someone preaching? Behold, how blessed are the feet of those who share good news. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Listen, children get saved the same way that adults do. It's actually no different. They hear the gospel, they're convicted of sin, and they believe in Christ. That's how children get saved. So they need to hear the good news. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. A third doctrinal foundation. Conversion is a miracle of grace. Conversion is a miracle of grace. It is, from beginning to end, God's doing. No child will be saved purely because of your efforts. Just like no adult can be saved purely from your efforts. Conversion is a sovereign work of God's grace, which means that it's not your presentation. It's not your convincing arguments. It's the power of the Spirit that produces life, that produces salvation. If children are sinners, it means they're spiritually blind, They're spiritually dead. They're spiritually enslaved to sin. And it takes a miracle of God's grace to to undo all of that and create life where there is none, to shine light into the darkness, to give them sight when they are blind, to turn them from worshiping themselves to worshiping Christ. That is a miracle of grace. You can't engineer it. Some of you know this because you've tried. Um, And if we could engineer it, we would, because we want these children to come to know Christ. But here's the implications of this doctrine. If conversion is a miracle of grace, if it's God's doing, then what that means is that if a child comes to faith in Christ and you shared the gospel with them, you really can't take the credit. It's not that you're somehow a better parent, a better grandparent, a better Sunday school teacher, a better neighbor, a better VBS teacher than someone else. It's that God did a miracle of grace and you're just rejoicing that you got to be part of it. Here's what that also means. That if a child refuses to believe the gospel, and I know this is painful for many. It's, it's hard to go through a room like this and not talk to multiple people that haven't gone through experiences of having a prodigal um, a child, a child that they taught the gospel to and took to church. But listen, if conversion is a miracle of grace, then if your child does not believe... If you've been faithful, you don't have to bear any of the blame. It's not your fault. They will be accountable for their response to Christ. There's nothing that you can do to, to make salvation happen. So if you've been faithful to expose them to the truth, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. You've presented Christ. You've modeled it for them. You've lived a life that shows them the goodness of following Jesus. You've taught them the, 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 the truth of the gospel, called them to believe, and they say no. At that point, you have to leave it in God's hands. You continue to pray, but you don't need to feel like you failed. It is not your fault. Sometimes we know that doctrinally, but emotionally we feel different, right? And so that's where we have to bring our heart and God's word into alignment and trust God with the results as we share the gospel, just like we do when you share the gospel with a coworker or a neighbor or a friend. Salvation is always God's work from beginning to end. And while we play an essential part, we play a necessary part in sharing the gospel, the outcome, the results are in God's hands. That's why Paul says, some plant and others water, but God gives the increase. So we have to believe that, not just when we evangelize adults, but also when we evangelize children. So those are some key doctrinal foundations. Kids are sinners, which means they need the gospel, they need grace. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. Kids get saved the same way that adults do. And conversion is always a miracle of grace. If you believe those things and prayerfully seek to engage with people, children and adults alike, um, in a way that reflects those truths, you're heading in the right direction. So I want to talk a little bit this morning about tactics because that's probably what many of us are thinking. Okay, how do I do it? How do I actually share the gospel with children? Um, So this is uh, obviously very applicable for parents. I know, raise your hand if you have children still living in the home. I would say 18 or under, just we'll make it broad. That's a good number of people in the room, probably half of us. How many of you have grandchildren? That's a good chunk of the rest of the room. And then some of you may have children someday, maybe you don't yet. And others of you may not have children, but God has given you a spiritual family here in the church. You have an opportunity to engage with children, to teach Sunday school, to talk to that Squirrely seven-year-old on the steps after church today, right? All of us have an opportunity to engage with children. So even if you're not a parent, I hope that you won't clock out and say, oh, this doesn't really apply to me. I think it applies to all of us, and I hope it'll be helpful for you. Uh, Whether you're a parent, a grandparent, uh, whether you are a single person ministering in the church, whether you are a couple who hasn't had children, um, I hope this is applicable to all of us. So here's a few tactics. First of all, the gospel must be taught We actually have to teach the gospel. We have to look for opportunities to teach them. Teaching is often the the word that's given to parents in scripture of how they're to engage with their children. We teach them God's law. We teach them wisdom. We train them up in the way that they should go. We bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's not a one-time presentation. It's not a, hey, I'd like to make my sales pitch. And you decide yes or no, and after that, we're done with that topic. This is an ongoing conversation that we want to have with children. So look for opportunities to teach them the gospel, which means we need to teach children who God is, right? If we we go back to what is the gospel, it's the truth about God, that he's just and holy and must punish sin. It's the truth about man, that man is sinful, and that man is helpless and cannot save himself, Um, It's the truth about Christ that the son of God came and died in our place on the cross. He rose again so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And then it's that fourth point of the response. What does it look like to receive that gift? It's repentance of sin and faith in Christ. Teach the gospel. Teach them who God is. Teach them that he's holy and show them in scripture. Teach them that he's just and he always punishes sin. Show them that in scripture. Teach them that God also loves them. Teach them the nature of man. Teach them that mankind is created in the image of God, was created to have a relationship with God. That they, as little children, bear this incredible dignity of being the crown jewel of all creation because they bear God's image. And they're made to know him, to enjoy him, to serve him. But that their hearts are sinful because our first father, Adam, fell. And every time they disobey mom or dad, every time they tell a lie, every time they have a selfish thought, every time they have a bad attitude, that that's sin. It's sin that violates God's holy law, and it's sin that deserves punishment, and that there's nothing they can do to make up for it. They can't just be really, really good the next day and somehow cancel out their disobedience from yesterday. That's not how it works. They can't negotiate with God. They're helpless. They cannot save themselves. And then teach them about Jesus. Teach them about his life, his death, his resurrection. Teach them about who Jesus is, that he was fully man and he was fully God. And I don't understand it either. (laughs) And they'll ask you to explain. And you can go, I feel like if I explain it to you, I'll probably say something heretical, but here's what I do know. And just tell them what you do know. And tell them we can, you know, Talk to some other people, too, if if you need help. Teach them about who Jesus is. Teach them about what Jesus did. Show them what Jesus is like, that he is compassionate and lays his hands on the lepers, that he also flips over tables in the temple and drives out those who are robbing God of his glory. Teach them what Jesus is like and teach them about the cross and teach them why. Why? Not just that Jesus died on the cross. Teach them why he died on the cross. Show them what it means and what it accomplished. Show how Jesus is like the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Show them how Jesus takes our place. Just like Barabbas was exchanged in in place for, for Jesus. That Jesus does that for us. Teach them about Jesus. And teach them about the necessity of repentance and faith. Teach them that their sin must be Confessed, that their sin needs to be turned from. Teach them that there's a necessary and proper grief over sin. And teach them that sin leads to death. And it's in turning from sin and turning to Christ that they can have salvation. Teach them what it means to believe, to believe that it's true, to believe that Jesus saves, and not to rely on themselves, but to rely on Jesus. That's the way of faith. Teach them the gospel. I just walked through the four points. It's God, Christ, man, and the response. Now, your five-year-old, or your 11-year-old, maybe your 15-year-old, they may not have the attention span to absorb everything you need to teach them about those four points in one conversation. So that's why we're always looking for opportunities, looking for chances to teach them bits and pieces, to keep building that puzzle out. There will be times where you get to share the whole gospel with them, maybe in abbreviated form. There may be times where you get to talk through the expanded gospel, all the details. But there's also gonna be times where you're just making these little contributions, building their understanding of who God is, what man's nature is like and what our need is, who Jesus is, what he did, And the necessary response that God now calls all men, including little boys and little girls, to repent. So teach them the gospel. Teach them the gospel. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Passing on the central truths of what it means to believe in God and follow God, passing those things on to the next generation. That's not something that's accomplished in one conversation. And that's why Old Testament Israel was told, teach them. When you're walking, when you're lying down, have it always before you. That Having it as a front line between your eyes is a metaphor for always keeping this thing in your view. So that you can always be ready to have those necessary conversations. But I would also encourage you, in, as far as teaching them the gospel, an effective teacher knows what the student needs to learn. And one of the ways you ascertain what they need to learn is asking questions. So share the truth with children, but also ask them questions. Ask them who God is. Ask them what sin is and if everybody's a sinner. And if they think some people aren't sinners. Ask them if they know who Jesus is. Ask them to tell you the story of Jesus. Ask them why they think Jesus died on the cross. Ask them if they know what repentance means and and what faith is. Ask them questions. Listen to them because you're not the only one having conversations. Um, There's other things that God is probably doing in their life to add in perspective, and some of them are going to be helpful. Some of them may need corrected. So ask them questions. Um, listen to your children. So it's easy for me as a preacher to want to get one of my kids in the car for 20 minutes, and I can talk for 20 minutes, telling them all the things I want them to know, all the things they need to understand. But I need to be able to listen. I need to ask them questions. That will show me exactly the point at which maybe they need affirmation that, yes, what your grandma was talking about is exactly true. Maybe they need some correction. Well, I I know you saw that movie and and it, it seems that this is the way the world works but this is actually human nature you will find those things out as you listen to your kids and ask them questions Um, just a couple as you seek to teach children a couple specific points of advice um, don't water down the gospel I think there's a temptation because we want them to get it that we want to simplify it down to be so distilled and it is simple it is good news Um, But don't fall into the temptation to water down the gospel just so that they can understand it. We want to raise them up to a level of understanding, which means we need to be able to communicate terms like justification in, in kid terms, okay? Maybe teach them what the word means. Um, So you don't want to just talk over their heads and use big words. We want to come down to their level. But don't water down the gospel. Don't oversimplify it. If they can't yet understand the gospel, be patient. Remember, we're teaching them. We're making little contributions along the way to build their understanding of the gospel. So just keep teaching them those little pieces. Because one day, when God decides to do that miracle of grace, he's going to take all those pieces and he's going to fit them together. So if they don't yet understand Continue to patiently teach them, but don't lower the bar. Don't oversimplify. Don't water down the gospel. A second point of advice as you seek to teach children is don't pressure them to make a profession. Don't pressure them. This is hard for us because we want nothing more than for our children to know Christ and have eternal life. But here's the danger. Children, as a general rule, usually want to please their parents. Which means that we can very easily sort of coerce a profession of faith. A prayer that does not spring from genuine faith, a prayer for salvation that is not driven by grief over sin and a recognition of need for Christ, a prayer that comes rather from a desire to simply appease a parent, that kind of sinner's prayer will not save. It cannot save. That's not the response that God is looking for because it's not a response to God, it's a response to you. You're not looking for your child to respond to you. You're looking for the child to respond to God, which means you must not pressure them into making a profession. Similarly, I would add, you also don't want to reduce um, saving faith to them simply answering yes to a few questions. You can ask your child, do you believe that God is holy and just? Yes, daddy. Do you believe that man is sinful and condemned? Yes, daddy. Do you believe Jesus is the son of God who died and rose again? Yes. And do you trust Jesus to save you? Yes. That kid can say yes without understanding and also without genuine faith and and repentance. So don't oversimplify and reduce things down to to that point and, and then sort of pressure them into making a profession again, because this is God's doing, we have to walk right up to a line. We can profess or we can preach to them the truth. We can tell them the response the gospel demands, but we have to leave the harvest in God's hands and and trust that when the time is right, that God will make that undeniably clear. God will make it clear. That child will feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They will understand the gospel and you won't be able to stop them at that point because God is doing a work. So don't pressure them into making a profession. Um, Don't resort to scare tactics. Sometimes parents will say, well, little Susie, you don't want to go to hell, do you? No. Do you want to be with mommy and daddy forever? Of course. Okay, then pray this prayer after me. That's not helpful. It's actually confusing to a child and can lay a bad foundation where they have a false sense that they are saved when all they've done is really respond to the scare tactics of a parent. At the same time, I'll throw this out there, don't soften the edges of the gospel. Children do need to know that hell is real and that unrepentant sinners go there for eternity. Don't hide that truth from your kids. That's not scare tactics. That's teaching them what the Bible says. There's a difference between me leveraging truth to try to extract a certain response. There's a difference between that and simply telling them what the Bible says and letting them wrestle with it. So don't, don't soften the edges of the gospel. Don't undersell the importance of the gospel. I think some of us are so cautious about pressuring our children, we almost take a take it or leave it approach. Like, yeah, this is what mom and dad believe, and I would love it if someday you considered these things, but you know that, that's for you and God to sort out. And we just sort of take a hands-off approach. I don't think that's right either. So there's sort of these two ditches. You can coerce, you can use scare tactics, you can pressure them, you can oversimplify things just to get a profession of faith but it's also possible to soften the edges of the gospel refuse to call them to faith and repentance and and never make clear that this is something that matters and is urgent for them so we want to stay out of both of those ditches and that takes wisdom Um, every kid is different every conversation is different and so it's going to take a lot of prayer and humility and dependence on the lord as we seek to do this faithfully Um, So teach them the gospel. That's the first tactic. And related to this, but I think it's a little bit different. Number two, read the Bible. Read the Bible to them when they're too young to read it for themselves. Read the Bible with them as they're learning to read on their own. And then encourage them to read the Bible on their own. I am so convinced that there is nothing more powerful than Scripture itself. And as impactful as parents are on a child... As significant as your words and my words are to our children, God's words are actually more significant, more impactful. And don't underestimate the power of Scripture. I get to hear a lot of people's salvation testimonies, and you get to hear some of them um, when we do baptisms. I can't tell you how many people I know who were converted through reading Scripture. They read the Bible, and that's what God used to transform their heart. Encourage Bible reading at the youngest age possible even if they're reading just little bits at a time, Um, read the Bible out loud to them. Expose them to scripture. Encourage them to to memorize it because we believe, right, that God's word is living and active and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We believe that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. So expose them to the word. Encourage them to read it. Uh, We believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, Romans 1.16. So have them read it for themselves. There's a sense in which we want our children to not take our word for it, but take God's word for it. Have them read the story of Jesus. Have them read Isaiah 53 and ask them what they think it means. Expose your children to scripture. Read the Bible with them. Read the Bible to them and encourage them to read the Bible. Um, A third tactic that's really important. We need to model faith in Christ. They need to see that it's real. If it's something you talk about, but they don't see that the gospel has any traction in your life, that will be counterproductive. A positive example is extremely powerful, but so is a negative one. Why should they believe in Jesus if it doesn't seem that you do? Why should they care if you don't? Why should... um, Why should they fear God? Why should they trust Christ? Why should they grieve over their sin if they don't see any of that evident in you? I think this has application personally. Um, For those of us who have children in the home, they need to see you reading your Bible. They need to know that mom or dad or mom and dad pray. Um, They need to watch your marriage. What does Paul tell us that marriage is a picture of in Ephesians 5? It's the church. It's Christ's relationship with the church. It's the gospel. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? By laying down his life for her. Husbands, the way you love your wives is a way to authenticate and illustrate the gospel to your children. Those of you who don't have children in the home, but you are married, the way that you talk about your spouse, the way you treat your spouse, kids see, they pick up on things And your little sarcastic jokes and punchlines, they see all that. And they don't always get all the levels of sarcasm. But what they do pick up on is if you really love your spouse, if you serve them, if you care for them, if you sacrifice for them. We need to model faith in Christ, which looks like personal piety and prayer and scripture reading. Um, And it looks like marriage. It looks like a number of things. But there's also a corporate ap- application to this. Part of modeling faith in Christ is worship. I, I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are here at 930, but take your kids to church. And those of you who are doing that, keep doing that. And don't underestimate the long-term benefit of taking your kids to church worship with your children because it's in the context of the church that your children will be able to see that you are fully engaged they need to look up and see mom singing because she believes these truths they need to look over and see dad with his bible open pouring over the scriptures because he believes that jesus has the words of life they see that they also see if you're just here putting in time and checking off a box they see that They pick up on it. The way that you engage in worship, your kids see that. So bring them, but then you need to engage. And then talk about it with them. Talk about what communion means. I I know for for my four kids, with a couple of them, some of the best conversations we've had have been explaining why they can't take communion yet. That's an awesome opportunity to talk about this picture of the gospel and what it means. Explain baptism to your children. Ask them if they understood the story that that person told before they got baptized. Ask them if they understand the picture that going under the water and coming up again symbolizes. Talk about baptism. Talk about worship. Explain why you love these people that aren't blood. Explain why you give money to the church. Explain why you volunteer and serve in different ministries in the church. As you engage in the corporate life of the church, as you engage in worship and in service and in ministry, Your kids see that you are modeling authentic faith in Christ so that they will know this message is real, it's true, and it changes everything when someone believes in Christ. But here's the catch. If you don't love the people here, if you don't give any money here, if you don't serve here, if you don't engage wholeheartedly in worship here, then just know that you are discipling your children to think that the gospel doesn't really make that big of a difference in someone's life. The positive and the negative examples matter. Just to go a little deeper, if you prioritize sports, if you prioritize academics, if you prioritize work, even if you prioritize you know, family family plans, family calendar stuff, over Christ in general, you're teaching your children the wrong message. And don't be surprised when they leave home and they go to college and they go after the world and they don't follow Christ and they're not submitted to his rule because that's what they've been taught, even by families that sporadically attend church this matters. Evangelizing your children requires much more than simply taking your kids to church and involving yourselves in ministry, but it doesn't require less than that. It's not less than that. This is an essential part of evangelizing our children. Um, If you bring your kids to church here, your kids are going to hear the gospel. They're going to hear the gospel in their classes, and they'll hear it in the sermons, they'll hear it in the songs. So bring your kids to church, expose them to that, And then talk to them about that. Make it a pattern for your Sunday uh, lunch or your Sunday supper. What did you guys learn in church today? What did you think about what the pastor said about Jesus? Tell me about your your Sunday school lesson. Talk about those things. Talk about communion, baptism. Let the church, the corporate witness of the church, be part of your evangelism. Um, Another topic. Man, we're running out of time. Or another tactic, rather. And this is one that I would love to spend a whole a whole morning on, and that's discipline. I'm convinced that the way you discipline your children, parents, is essential to leading them to Christ. Yes, we want to give them grace, but we need to give them the law first because the law is this school teacher that leads us to Christ. It's the law that exposes our sin and our need. It's the law that brings conviction. So you must hold your child accountable for sin. I'll say this again because too many people don't. You must hold your child accountable for sin. Expect obedience. Require obedience. You might say, you sound really legalistic. You sound really strict. Listen, I'm convinced this is essential to actually leading them to Christ. They'll never know their need. Maybe you don't want them to feel bad. Maybe you don't want them to feel guilty. They need to. Don't insulate them from the way that God typically works, which is bringing conviction for sin. We need to expect and require obedience. So yes, we want to give them grace, but we want to point them to the gracious provision of Christ for guilty sinners, which means before that, they need to know that they are guilty sinners. Listen, permissiveness teaches them the anti-gospel. Permissive parents teach their children that God is really not that holy and that his justice is not something that really touches us. There's not really consequences for sin. That's what permissiveness teaches them. Permissiveness teaches them that sin doesn't have consequences and that, you know, they really aren't that desperately in need for the work of Christ. Permissiveness teaches them that repentance is optional. Permissive parents are undermining the gospel. I know for some of you you're you're parenting days are over you're past that and all of us are always growing I I wish I knew what I know now when I started parenting and I'm still in this little narrow sliver of life where my kids are in my home I'm sure if you could go back there's things you would do differently I, I hope this isn't discouraging to you maybe you have regrets over the way you parented Give that to the Lord, confess that. God is bigger than our parenting failures, okay? And he saves our kids as much despite us as because of us. So remember, it's God's work of grace. So I don't want to crush you under this burden if you're right now having a lot of regrets. So, so what do you do with this? Encourage your kids to not make the same mistakes you made. If you have regrets, share that. That's an opportunity to give your kids something that you didn't have, which is somebody telling you, go this way, not that way. So, so I hope that you will find encouragement here and not just feel guilty. Um, but I, I still, at the same time, I, I know this, this risks making people feel bad, but I do believe that permissiveness actually teaches the anti-gospel. It just undermines everything we're trying to convince our kids of. Um, so discipline your children. Hold them accountable to God's word. Not because they have any chance of actually living it out. I'm not saying require your kids to be perfect. That's a different thing. I'm just saying let them face the consequences for their sin. And which means you need to be the one often enforcing that. Not because we're trying to change their behavior or or get them to be perfect on the outside. But because we just want them to recognize how sinful they are so that they really need Christ. That's really the goal. On the flip side of this, in terms of discipline... There needs to be forgiveness. After you give discipline, there should be forgiveness. What happens when God forgives us? Once atonement has been made, once our sins are punished at the cross, forgiveness is full and free. So in your discipline of children, once the consequences have been dealt, there should be forgiveness full and free. Don't hold it over their head. Don't hold them at arm's length. Don't put them in purgatory. We don't believe in purgatory. We believe in atonement at the cross. So once my kid has got their spankings, it's over. We hug, we cry, we pray, we affirm love, and we move on. And it's cast as far as the east is from the west. So forgiveness full and free needs to be part of our discipline. Don't teach them unintentionally atonement by works. If they have to work to get back in your good graces, they will think they have to work to get back in God's good graces so don't undermine the gospel by failing to offer forgiveness full and free and also in your discipline remember we aren't just wanting behavior modification we want heart change so the goal is always repentance we want our children to feel grief over sin to hate their sin and to desire to turn from their sin even if they're still sort of stuck in it so don't expect perfection we want repentance. We want a change of heart, which means no matter how faithfully we discipline our kids, we need God's help because he's the only one that can produce repentance. So we can't manufacture that, but you need to aim for it. Pray for it. Let them know that's the goal. That's what you want to see. But you have to be patient and let God, um, let God create that. And then in all of your discipline, you need to point them to Jesus. Point them to Christ's work. Point them to the promise of Jesus. Point them to the power of Jesus. Point them away from themselves and to Jesus. Point them away from you and to Jesus. If their biggest grief is that mommy or daddy is unhappy with me, you need to point that away from yourself and point that to God. Well, really, the the biggest problem here is that God is unhappy with sin. That God hates sin. You need to expose them to that crisis. They may care more about their relationship with you than their relationship with God. We need to divert that attention to the Lord. Point them to the only one who can save them. Really, your kid's issue, your grandkid's issue, your neighbor kid's issue, the other kids in this church that you may get to be around, their issue is really with God, not with you. So we have to take ourselves out of it. There's a lot more I wanted to go through, but we are over time. Um... So maybe we'll get some of this stuff into our next panel discussion. A key question uh, that I wanted to talk about, we didn't get time to, is how do you handle it when a child asks, am I saved? So that's something we'll talk about another time. How do we deal with, with when a child is seeking assurance? Maybe they've professed faith, but they're unsure. We don't have time for that today. So that's a teaser for next time. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for those who faithfully shared the gospel with so many of us when we were children. Thank you for godly fathers and mothers, godly grandparents, godly aunts and uncles, godly Sunday school teachers, godly bus drivers, godly neighbors, godly coaches and teachers, all the different people that you used to share the gospel with many of us when we were children. We thank you, Lord, that you do not hinder the children from coming. You delight to save those who are young. I pray, Lord, that you would do it again, that you would save the young ones in our midst, those who don't yet know you. I pray that as they spend time in our homes, time in this church, time with people in this church, that they would be convinced of the absolute truth and necessity of the gospel. I pray that you would give them understanding, and I pray that you would draw them to yourself and save them. Begin your work of growing and using them for your glory, even at a young age. Protect them from going into the world wasting their life, earning shame and regret that might get in the way of how they could be serving you right now. And I pray that you would um, rescue these children uh, from their own hearts and do it, Lord, in a way that brings you glory and also brings us joy. Amen.